Welcome to the Free Flow Football Podcast. On today's episode, we preview the Europa League final by interviewing Mayank Basin, who is an Arsenal fan, and Sartak Mondal, who is a Chelsea fan, to give their viewpoints on the two different sides ahead of the final in Baku. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Free Flow Football Podcast. I am Mahith Gamaj, and today we're going to be previewing the Europa League final between Arsenal and Chelsea. Um, this podcast is going to be a bit different from the ones we usually do. Uh, usually, I get one of my friends from uh, from you know nearby me to to come on the show and talk about whatever's happening in world football. But for this episode and the next one, which is going to be a preview of the Champions League final, I'm going to be interviewing fans from um, who support the the two different teams, or I guess the four different teams across the two episodes from different parts of the world. So I'm here with Mayank Basin, who's from India, who is an Arsenal fan, just like I am. Um, and, you know, the Europa League final is coming up, and it is one of the biggest games of Arsenal's decade, basically. I mean, this is, a lot is riding on this game for them in terms of finances, in terms of attracting players, um, and, you know, in terms of winning their first major European trophy. So, Mayank, how are you today, man? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm um, not bad. You know, I, um, I'm a bit, I'm a bit nervous for this final, honestly. Um, just because, you know, I mean, a lot of these finals are, are played between teams who aren't in the same league, who don't know each other well, but there are going to be no surprises between Arsenal and Chelsea. I mean, these players know each other well, and, you know, this is going to be a great game, but also a bit nerve-wracking just because we don't know what to expect. I mean, we played Chelsea in the first game this season. We lost. We beat them the second time around. What are you expecting from this game? Um, yeah, I think this game definitely promises to be a whole lot more than you know what it might look on the onset. Because uh, well, you know, talking about Arsenal uh, for this game, this is not just uh, you know a European trophy on the line; it's a Champions League spot on the line. Because unfortunately, we you know failed to finish in the top four in the league, uh, down to some very poor performances in the in the in the run up to the end of the Premier League, especially in the, the last three four games where we lost to. Uh, Crystal Palace then we lost to Wolves I mean I I honestly would have taken a draw against Wolves because I think they definitely were the best uh, side you know from the rest of the process. you know they were the best of the rest essentially yeah. you know when, we, when we're talking about the top six you know these top six are the clubs that realistically hold a chance of lifting the Premier League title so Wolves finished 7th and yeah pretty impressive campaign for them and uh, yeah, I would have actually taken a draw against Wolves, but you know the way we lost to Leicester and the way we lost to uh, Crystal Palace, that I think was definitely I think that was a big shot in the foot for us. Fortunately enough, well, you know, taking some confidence uh, from the win against Valencia in the uh, Europa League semi-final yeah. and the in the uh, last <clears throat> and the win in the last game week to Burnley uh, away, so I think that definitely has uh, at least. Uh, lifted the confidence of the team at least to some respect uh, hopefully um, and yeah so I think uh, going into the final uh, the team needs to carry a strong mentality first of all that is I think what we've seen in these last few game weeks when we were facing a lot of games away from home mm-hmm. uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a clear lack of uh, 
leadership in the team away from home. There's a clear lack of ambition to win. So I think that is something that hopefully is addressed. The team, uh, the players have obviously gotten a pretty good break before the final. I think seventeen uh, or nineteen or days. Uh, yeah, it'll be at the day of, you know before we last played our uh, <coughs> match against Burnley. So pretty good considering all that and. Uh, there's obviously the Mkhitaryan situation, so the, the things have not been, it's it's not really been the, the the most smooth going it could have been, you know, for Arsenal. But I think there's a silver lining in Danny Welbeck, although he's not played a lot. Uh, he has only probably had uh, behind the doors uh, friendlies to prove his match fitness. But I think hopefully he can, you know, sort of be a trump card for us in the uh, Europa League final. Yeah, um, we'll get to the Mkhitaryan situation later, but I mean, away from the Europa League final for one second, how did you come to support Arsenal, you know, in your in your life? Like, how, how did you sort of just become a fan of the club? Yeah, actually, I think I think for me, it's it's, it's sort of an interesting story because uh, usually what we see, you know, with football fans is that, uh, uh, you know, people in their families get influenced by other people, you know, who are watching football yeah. in their families. This is, you know, what you usually get to hear. For me, well, I think, you know, I belong to India and uh, I think it's it's fairly well known that India is a pretty cricket-crazy nation. Cricket is obviously mm-hmm. one of the very popular sports in, uh, in, in, in the world. Yeah. So, it has historically been, you know, India's favourite sport and uh, India's obviously had a lot of honours there. So, growing up, even I was a pretty avid cricket, uh, you know, a, a pretty avid cricket fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is typical Indian boy, you could say. Yeah. So... That obviously used to happen and that still does, although my interest in cricket is not, you know, not as much as it was probably about, uh, I think, six or seven years back mm-hmm. when I first came into contact with football, but it's there. So, the thing with football, well, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a growing scene in India and uh, it was only one day, I think, back in 2012, I think it was, I think, October or November of 2012, so it, it'll be around about seven years in a few months' time. That I've been, that I've been uh, following football. So yeah, I was you know watching the TV. I was uh, I, I I think I turned on Sony ESPN something like that, and I, Arsenal's match uh, was going on. I, I I'm not able to remember against which team it was, but it was Arsenal's game against one of the teams. And 2012 was I think you know back one of those days where one of those periods rather when we were sort of playing that, you know, that beautiful football and Arsenal, yeah. that sort of tiki-taka sort of playstyle. You know, even though when we didn't have that sort of players necessarily on the team sheet, but I think because uh, there were not a lot of top-class managers in the league at that point of time, barring uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, of course, and maybe a couple of others, so there were not a lot of top-class managers, in my opinion, in the league at that time, and uh, the tactics that Arsene Wenger was using, uh, they were... I think far superior than a lot of other managers, again, barring uh, Sir Alex Ferguson and a couple of other people. So, uh, yeah, that was, I think, the time when our uh, tiki-taka sort of based football, you know, was Wenger ball, as we like to call it, mm-hmm. that was coming to fruition. And, uh, yeah, that, that was, you know, when I actually just, uh, by accident, I <clears throat> decided, you know, to, to you know, just switch on the channel and then football was coming on. And then I was like, yeah, just let's just try and, you know, what and see, you know, about how football appeals and, you know, how the West has perceived this to be such a sport and, you know, people consider football their religion as well, you know, people that are very ardent supporters of the game. So, that is when I decided to, you know, uh, watch the, uh, watch one of the games, which happened to be an Arsenal game and then I was watching it and then I was looking at the sort of fluid football that Arsenal was playing and, yeah, I got, I got pretty attracted to it and then I 
went on the internet and saw when Arsenal had the next match and then th- th- this is how I basically started to follow the club mm-hmm. and uh, I would occasionally watch the matches of some other teams as well but it was primarily Arsenal I think probably because Arsenal had been the first team that I probably watched a match of uh, of in the Premier League so that happened and then that happened throughout the rest of the season and initially I had developed a very basic sort of interest in football but mm-hmm. I think it was only the years when I really started to you know develop a proper, you know, core fan sort of, you know, a love for the club. And at this moment of time, I am basically pretty much just an Arsenal supporter. I probably don't even watch any other teams' games a lot. Maybe just one or two other teams in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I am what you would call Arsenal bad, basically. So that is what I am. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the interest is basically ever, ever since 2012. I think it's uh, it's only increased over time, and I, I have definitely grown the love and affection for the club. And I think. Yeah, that's 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 what football does to you, doesn't it? Yeah, my, actually, my story of how I became an Arsenal fan is is almost identical to yours. I mean, when I was younger, I mean, I I, I moved from Sri Lanka to Canada when I was five years old or six years old, and and even obviously in Sri Lanka, it's very similar to to India. It's all cricket, right? Yeah, cricket no, is pretty popular. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Sri Lanka, it's like there's no other sport. Nobody really watches anything but cricket. And yeah. when I moved to Canada, you know, I, I was still. A huge cricket fan. I mean, I grew up with guys like Sangakara and Jaiwar, you know, who yeah. are legends of the game, right? And, Absolutely. And you know, I don't really remember how it happened, but I mean, my my story is exactly like yours. I remember turning on the TV and watching an Arsenal game. Um, I think mine for me it was a bit um a bit before when when it was for you. I think for me that was about two thousand eight or two thousand nine. I was about eight or nine years old. And, okay. Yeah, and and then I, I don't really remember how it happened, but then you know one day I was just an Arsenal fan, and then one day I was watching every game. I I, I wouldn't say there's one clear cut moment where I sort of became a fan, but it just it just sort of grew over time. And yeah, now you know I, it's not just Arsenal. I try and watch as many games as I can, regardless of the team. But I mean, yeah, like Arsenal has always been my club for as long as I can remember. But I don't remember, really remember like how it really happened. But um. Yeah, I think that's that's the that's the beauty of the game. I mean, uh, you know, we were not winning the league by any means. We were just you know pretty much called a top four club at that point of time, and yeah. that was even in the, you know that span of 2012 to twenty fourteen. Those those two odd years where uh, I I mean I still consider myself even after seven odd years I still consider myself a pretty new fan because you know Arsenal as an institution it dates back to hundreds of years old. It's yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty you know, large institution and a pretty historic one as that. So I consider myself a fairly new fan, even you know, if uh, even if uh, <clears throat> I've been watching the club for seven odd years, because I know people personally, you know, who are uh, who are who have been watching Arsenal for 15, 20 odd years. I know these kind of people, you know, and yeah. I know so much about our history and everything. So if you're gonna ask me about you know the club's history in general, I may not be able to comment on it much. But uh, you know, you talk about the last five, six years, then I'm able to you know definitely talk a lot mm-hmm. more about the club, how we have moved forward, and the kind of highs and the lows we've gone through. So yeah, that's that. Yeah. So going back to the Europa League final, I mean, uh, are you confident heading into the game? Because I, even I, like, uh, part of me is confident. You know, part of me is saying. Okay, you know, we, we, we beat Chelsea convincingly just uh, four months ago. Um, we have, you know, we have the better players up front. Um, goalkeeping is pretty even. They probably had the better defense, but midfield, I would say, is pretty even between the two sides. You know, the, th- the thing that, that sort of makes me confident is that we have two top strikers and they have none. And we can score goals out of any situation and they work very hard for their goals. 
Um, that, that is a that is a clear difference in the two sides, you know, in terms of strengths and weaknesses. But like, are you confident heading into the game? Definitely, definitely, I am. Uh, you know, pretty much for the same reasons as you've uh, as you've listed. Um, I run up to the Europa League has been better. I think, you know, in general, I think what you must have observed is the fact that you know we've just been a, a far more uh, you know far more composed side in the uh, in the Europa League as opposed to the Premier League. So, talking about the last few game weeks of the Premier League, I think we could clearly see, even if you know it wasn't officially announced or anything, because a team wouldn't do it. But I think uh, Unai must have definitely told you know the, the rest of the team that uh, I think the, the that the focus at that point would have primarily shifted to the Europa League because. Um, the team in general, you know, we we didn't perform well in the last couple of months in the Premier League. I don't know what was particularly going wrong with the team. As mm-hmm. such, I think it was more of a more of a leadership issue, and then the fact that you know injuries. Uh, well, you know the core injuries that happened to our team in 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 the sense to you know the injuries to Rob uh, Rob Holding and uh, Hector Bellerin, they were you know happening they happened initially early in the season and to Danny Welbeck as well. So I think that sort of. Uh, Sort of derailed our campaign early on because you know when you when you remove those three players, ideally they're you know even if if I have to talk about Rob Holding, so he's not like he's not the best defender in the team right now. But you take him away and then the squad depth is nothing. Yeah, that I think you know, was primarily the problem this season with us. So that is why I think even the uh, even you know the coming transfer window becomes so much more important for you know a club like Arsenal. But talking about the Europa, Euro League, uh, you know the uh, Europa League final, I, I am pretty confident. I think primarily for the reasons you listed and the fact that you know Aubameyang's been pretty much on firing cylinders right now. Yeah. Lacazette's finding form. Uh, Aubameyang's been great. Uh, Leno has constantly been making good saves, although there's you know the sort of the odd error every now and then. But mm-hmm. I think he's more often than not he's been been you know such a rescue machine for us this season and. Uh, Talking about Leno, I think I don't know if this is unpopular opinion or not, but I really think that Arsenal should should maybe you know just just try and start Leno in the final as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if this is unpopular opinion or not, but I think and you know I don't hold this opinion or this opinion doesn't stem from you know the recent incident where you know it was just coming out in various uh, media outlets that Petacek is being given the role of the sporting director at at, at Chelsea Football Club. Yeah. Uh, that. It's not, you know, where my opinion is born and bred from. I mm-hmm. have just generally maintained the stance that, you know, if we are to play a full-strength team in the final and we are to, you know, maintain our philosophy of, you know, playing from the back, that is where, you know, Leno is just miles better ahead of, you know, miles mm-hmm. ahead of Czech. Mm-hmm. Because Czech is not going to be that sort of a keeper who's going to be playing the long balls in. And while I think technically that does work slightly better against Chelsea because, you know, their defence doesn't particularly play a high line, I think... Well, our flair is more about developing from the our play from the back, and I think that is where you know uh, Leno takes the Leno takes the cherry from me. So I think maybe I think for that reason it probably makes a whole lot more sense to go for Leno. But I think knowing Emery and knowing the fact that he probably promised the uh, the Europa League campaign to Czech and you know told him that he'll be the first choice for yeah. for the Europa League campaign, I think most probably is going to be Czech. Uh, you know, for us in the goal in the final. Yeah, I think it'll be Czech as well, but, you know, you have to look at it, you know, without the sentiment, without, you know, I would love to give Czech a, a nice send-off, you know, he is retiring after yeah. this game, but this is a huge game for Arsenal, and, you know, right. in, in a huge game, I think the best goalkeeper should start, and Leno is the best goalkeeper at the club, so it, it is a right. dif- it, I get it, and it is a difficult decision, but um, at the end of the day, you're you know, it's Arsenal's interest versus Czech's interest, and I think the club should come first, like, you know, nine, like, ten times out of ten, so, 
Uh, yeah, I, I am expecting to see Petrček in net. Um, you know, it, it just like you said, the 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 news of him moving to Chelsea, I don't think is gonna is gonna play a part. I mean, obviously people are are angry that the news came out before, but I mean, it's not like Czech is gonna throw the game. He is a he's a, a consummate professional, and he's gonna play yeah. to his best regardless. Yeah, right. So, thinking about Chelsea, I mean. You know they are a pretty good team. They finished in third, I believe, a couple points ahead of us in the Premier League. Um, still, you know, they, they they were just like us throughout the season. They had their ups and they had their downs. Um, again, they had a new manager just like we did. Uh, yeah. But you know, th- they have strengths and weaknesses too, just like Arsenal do. So, what what do you really, you know, what are you afraid of, kind of, from Chelsea? And what do you think that Arsenal can take advantage of as well? I think uh, the primary threat, uh, you know, from the Chelsea team, I think it's going to be Hazard. They're going to be trying to overload that uh, that left flank. And considering our, uh, you know, considering our weaknesses on the right hand side of the pitch, uh, I think that will be, I think, the main cause of concern for us now. Primarily, I think what we're going to do is we're going to play three at the back. So I am expecting a three-four-one-two sort of formation because I think that. Considering the you know considering the players that are available for the game, I think the three four one two is the best formation we can play because it suits you know uh, our team pretty well. So when I talk about the three defenders, I probably expect if not Montreal, I think I expect uh, uh, Lorenzo Koscielny, uh, Socrates, and uh, Mustafi backline of three defenders. Then I'm expecting Klasenak and uh, Maitland Niles as the wing backs. Now yeah. we we know that you know uh, Maitland Niles has had. But a decent season, not to take away that from him, but you know, it's it's been I think more off than a non season for him. Mm-hmm. So I think playing him as a wing back definitely does more good than you know, than it does by playing him as a full back. So I'm not expecting a four at the back, uh, you know, formation, a standard four defender formation by any means. So in, you know, if if by any means we decide to go for a four defender formation and we decide to play uh, Ainsley as the uh, Ainsley as the as the right full back then I think it will become a bigger cause for concern because Hazard is, is going to be coming firing down from that left wing yeah. and we know how dangerous and how good he's been this campaign mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it, in what is likely to be his last game for Chelsea I think he'll be giving it his all because I think the Europa League was his very first trophy with Chelsea as well if I'm not wrong uh, I'm not exactly sure but I think he won the Europa League with Chelsea once so I think you know this is this last game with Chelsea. He wants to go home with some silverware. He wants to depart with you know. He wants to have a good farewell. So he is, uh, I think, going to be more motivated than anyone in this team. To be very fair, and uh, for us, I think some strengths would be the fact that uh, the recent injuries to the Chelsea squad. I think, especially in the in the, in the midfield. Now, not only uh, do you consider the fact that Ruben Loftus Cheek was injured a few days back, but today reports. Are- you know, probably Angola Conte is also injured. Yeah. Now that is not verified by the club officially, but I think that could very well be the case because a lot of uh, credible outlets are reporting on the same. Yeah. Some have also reported, uh, reported on uh, Jorginho being uh, injured, but I don't think that is uh, happening. I think uh, Angola Conte is injured. So you know, when you remove Conte, when you remove Loftus Cheek, you ideally are looking at a midfield trio of uh, Jorginho, uh, Kovacic, uh, Kovacic, and Barclay. So that. I mean, while it is a respectable midfield trio, but you know, you consider putting, uh, you know, uh, uh, you consider putting uh, RLC, Ruben Loftus Cheek, and uh, and and you know, uh, Conte in there instead of uh, Kovacic and Barclay, then obviously that's a much much superior midfield over there. Yeah. So that is, I think, 
but something Arsenal has to try and you know take the advantage of because uh, while Barkley is I think a very promising midfielder, uh, I think uh, we, we really got to try and uh, you know contain him. I think you, the more what Arsenal needs to particularly do is probably uh, suppress uh, Jorginho. Because in the past few game weeks, what I've noticed is his influence in the team has uh, definitely uh, increased a lot. And mm-hmm. I think that has been one of the reasons why Chelsea have had convincing victories in the past few games. Uh, he has definitely become better and, you know, I think Jorginho is definitely a much more comfortable player uh, for the Chelsea side than he was, you know, when he walked in or, you know, when he was when he was initially here for the first, uh, first couple of months. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the main idea should be to try and uh, suppress Jorginho first of all and... Uh, to also, you know, take care of that, uh, take care of that uh, <clears throat> right hand side where uh, Hazard is going to be coming in, firing cylinders for that left flank. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a bit difficult now because both teams are, are I would say missing their best midfielder for this game because I do think Angola Conte is gonna be out or at least he's not gonna start. He might be on the bench, and Aaron Ramsey yeah. Ramsey's out for sure. So it's yeah. um it's gonna be difficult because Ramsey played a key part when we beat Chelsea in January. You know he's playing, he he was you know we we played the midfield diamond which we only saw a couple times this year but it was directly for him to influence Jorginho in the way you said you know he was the one suppressing Jorginho in that game where we beat them two nothing convincingly he you know right. he restricted his space he he played a disciplined game you know he, it wasn't the flashy performance that we've seen from you know none of like the late runs into the box and scoring great goals it was the disciplined um, off the ball tactical performance from Ramsey and we're gonna be missing him. And we're going to be missing Mkhitaryan, who isn't going to play yeah. because of the situation with Baku, and even the even not even regarding Mkhitaryan, but the whole stadium issue is huge because you know they only allocated six thousand tickets for Arsenal and Chelsea each, when the stadium is sixty five thousand or something like that. And yeah, that's definitely I think one of the biggest uh, disappointments I think from this season the way UFS conducted you know the tickets and uh, the, the ticket sales and everything. And uh, what is more. You know, uh, sad to hear. What is a little more sad to hear is the fact that you know clubs have had to send back half of their allocation because the fans exactly. are just not able to raise it because you know the rates are exorbitant. They are literally ridiculous right yeah. now. From India, I think you know it's a different situation if fans from India want to go to Baku because I think um, the rates are pretty much you know what they generally are on a on a, on a flight ticket to Baku. Right. So for an Indian, it, it's not you know. Uh, that much difficult, but uh, you know, primarily the supporters are going to be coming from in- England because you know Arsenal well is an English club. So yeah. primarily the supporters are going to be coming over from there, and then when you charge them that sort of money, uh, even the fans have to you know reiterate it, you know, because the desire to obviously uh, watch a match and especially European final is always there, and you know that's a special moment for any any uh, club fan to watch yeah. a European final. When the license go through the roof, uh, every fan has, has to you know try and actually. Yeah, it's it's just I I feel really awful for some of those fans who are going to every game home and away and just aren't able to afford to go to Baku to you know see Arsenal play in one of their biggest games in the last decade. So it's it's really difficult. And I think UEFA does does you know they they need to apologize to both clubs for it and to Mkhitaryan who you know is feeling unsafe regardless of how UEFA you know tried to convince him that it would be okay. Uh, Mkhitaryan obviously you know he made the decision himself to not go but it was obviously a very difficult decision and he wouldn't make the decision lightly so it was obviously something that he was afraid of you know with those Azerbaijani fans it's just I mean I just don't see how this city this stadium is suited to host such a big final and they're co-hosting the Euro 2020 next year 
and they're hosting a quarterfinal at the stadium. So I don't know how that's going to work if they can't even do this. Yeah, I think one of the things that EFA, I think, should be doing, in my honest opinion, is to, you know, to try and ensure that, you know, I think the venues are finalized for the Euros and I think even for next year's Europa League or be the Champions League as well. What they're going to try and ensure is that uh, even if they can't change these venues from now, let's just, you know, try and assume that sort of a situation. What they should be doing is to try and, you know, uh, secure some sort of diplomatic relations between the countries, not on the political, uh, not from a political stand, but from the sporting stand. They should really try and, you know, do this because UFA is such a big organization. They're organizing, uh, you know, the second biggest European competition uh, in the world, uh, second only to the Champions League, uh, at least as far as, you know, as far as football in terms are concerned. So, you know, and, you know, the kind of prize money that's on offer in China and you know what's distributed to the club so that's that's a huge cash hit tournament and you know something like this uh, you know only comes across as a bit unprofessional uh, you know in, in uh, you know to some extent so I think that is where UEFA uh, is to try and you know take some control and try and ensure the safety of the players uh, not only for one particular edition that you know that you know not just for this edition but for the other coming editions as well because football mm-hmm. as a sport is only going to grow. Uh, as we see because you know it's a booming sport in a lot of countries and it hasn't even reached you know saturation in a lot of countries so that's where you know they've got to try and take the opinions of the fans into you know into consideration as well Mm -hmm. yeah i definitely agree with you i I just i think that you know this is kind of a a learning moment for uefa i think they they can't let this happen again and uh, I, I, I do think they'll take good precautions to, to avoid this happening in the future because it has caused a yeah. lot of backlash towards their organization, a lot of um, negative comments, and, and a lot, I'm sure they got a lot of emails from people. So I, I mean, I, I'm, actually, I'm actually worried that, you know, when, when our Arsenal fans, you know, get to the stadium and, you know, if they decide to, you know, some of them decide to, you know, wear Mkhitaryan-based T-shirts or, you know, pictures with T-shirts of Mkhitaryan, yeah. I don't know man. that that causes possibly cause an uproar. Now I'm obviously uh, it's 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 a little far off as you know what I'm thinking, but you know you never know this could happen and then yeah. that could cause a massive massive backlash right there in the very stadium and that could you know harm the integrity of you know of the tournament so much. So hopefully you know things uh, things are conducted smoothly as well. Yeah, definitely. So lastly, um, I think we should talk about Unai Emery because we haven't really talked about him in this podcast yet. But, I mean, he finished outside the top four in the Premier League, which is a huge disappointment considering the strong strong position that we were in to qualify in around March, April. And, you know, we, we really squandered it and we finished just one point out of the top four. All we had to do was beat Crystal Palace or, or beat Brighton or, or anything, you know, anywhere. And we would have gotten in, but we didn't. And while he did get close, um, I think this is considered a failure on the in the Premier League. But we still got the Europa League final, of course. Um, if he wins, I think um, this season will be a success. But if he loses that game, would you say that Emery's first season was a failure? I wouldn't consider it a total failure to some extent, maybe uh, because um, I think yes, as you just said about the uh, about the Premier League. Uh, I mean, I think about the Crystal Palace game, I think that is one game, I think, where we were technically set up, uh, in, you know, in, uh, incorrectly. Uh, there was no reason to start Gwendozi and Nani in a midfield, uh, you know, in a midfield pivot. I didn't see the utility of it because, uh, you know, both of them are uh, ball-holding, uh, you know, uh, ball-holding CMs and, you know, they don't play forward pass that much. I mean, Gwendozi still does, but then when you have, a, you know, a sort of a CM like Nani alongside him, that doesn't really give you a sort of a dynamic in that pivot. So mm-hmm. ideally, 
what we were saying is, you know, Ozil having to drop deeper into the midfield, and then obviously his productivity was always going to be hit because of that. So I think for the Crystal Palace game, I uh, I would give the blame to to Emery for tactically setting up wrong. For the last few games, though, however, where we lost against, um, I think, I think Everton or uh, or or Palace, uh, no, not Palace. I think Everton or the loss against Wolves or the yeah. loss against City. I think uh, more of the blame. In my honest opinion, and I think you know this is a uh, this is an opinion you know which can be refuted. Uh, I think uh, the players were more responsible for the loss because I think if you if you see if you saw those games, the players just didn't have any fight in them. Yeah. They didn't look like they were a goal down. They didn't want to you know go back and score a goal again to to try and level the game. The the fight was just not there. And I think you know those were the only few games of the season where I actually seen Arsenal players heads go down after a goal was conceded because I remember when we were on that you know twenty two match and beaten run which was being, well being glorified out of no reason <laughs> my honest opinion. Yeah. Was when we were talking about when you talk about that twenty uh, two match and beaten run. Uh, whenever we conceded first, all that I saw in the players' eyes was fight, and uh, what I saw in them in their eyes was passion. Whenever mm-hmm. goal was being conceded, they never let their heads down. They came back, they scored a goal, and then they either salvaged a draw out of that game or they won it. So I think that that I think over the season that waned a little, uh, which was I think um, definitely. Something very surprising to me, and something very disappointing. And I think that is that is that is the mentality when you know a team doesn't need at all. So hopefully, regardless of us securing Champions League football next season or not, I think firstly that needs to be uh, addressed upon. Hopefully, Emery can try and instill a lot, you know, a lot more, uh, a lot more positivity in the team and a lot of you know a lot stronger mental attitude. Firstly, and uh, as far as I think Europe League is concerned, obviously this game is. Uh, Pretty, pretty important for us, as you said. Uh, the most important game of the last decade, a chance to you know get back into the Champions League and how it can you know significantly impact our finances, considering the fact that our business model revolves around self-sustenance. So we are not getting any owner funding. We're only spending. We're spending all of the money that we're you know generating from our uh, from our footballing activities on field and off the field. So. Obviously, CL becomes just so much more important for us as a club because our wage bill is also, you know, it's ballooning over. It's, it, it has ballooned over the years, yeah. and uh, hopefully, I think this season in, in, the, in the coming transfer window, we'll uh, we'll address this because I think we can. Uh, the the main problem is you know moving out players who are uh, on on high wage contracts and you know don't have a lot of years left. So their ideal stance is to you know. Uh, Run their contract down, and then maybe you know move away on a free, and which is technically on a free because you know then the player and you know his agent can earn a lot more money in the form of signing on free. So hopefully that is addressed. The club has to be ruthless, I think, which I think it will be. I think under Raul Sanle, I definitely have some sort of an optimism, and uh, I think there, I think you must have watched the the, uh, the recent two videos. I think a couple of videos that were yeah. uh, released. Arsenal's channel where I think Laura Woodsy uh, interviewed uh, Raul Sanley and Ming, I mean, I Ming Petesham. So I think that was a pretty pretty positive interview. Uh, there's obviously the you know the regular argument about you know that interview where a fan you know would come up and say that you know this is just a regular interview when we're being done by uh, members of our management and ultimately we'll be back to square one once the transfer window passes. But I think. Uh, when you have a guy like uh, you know Raul Sanle uh, at your club, someone who was you know uh, in the management that passed off for years, 
then I think you know there's there's no reason for him to move to Arsenal unless you know he's been promised things unless he's been told of you know the sort of uh, dynamics that could be changed within the club. So I definitely hope uh, and I definitely sense uh, a sort of a change coming in at Arsenal in the form of you know uh, I think hopefully trimming down the wage bill, hopefully having a squad which is on an average you know consists of you know younger players and uh, again I think considering a business model you have to you know. Ideally, look at investing into you know young potential signings, which you know you can hone over a couple of years or you know two three years, and then try and sell them ideally uh, for a bigger profit, which you know then you can be invested into other players as well. Of course, when you talk about prospects, you want to try and keep them at your club, yeah. but there are always bigger clubs uh, you know sniffing around, so that is where you can you know try and uh, rotate them out for a profit and you know invest that into the club. Mm-hmm, definitely. So lastly, my uncle, I just want your prediction for the final. What's the what's the score gonna be? Um, I think it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be three one to the Arsenal. I think we'll definitely concede a goal, but um, I don't have any reason to doubt that uh, we'll win the game. Our strikers are on form, as you said, they are lacking an informed striker right now because Higuain has been very much a hit and miss case. Yeah. Um, I definitely think we can take advantage. Uh, we can take advantage of you know their their fragility in the in the midfield and uh, not not the defense particularly because I think uh, the defense is still okay even though uh, Rudiger is out. But I still think I think maybe Andreas Christensen could play alongside uh, uh, David Luiz and uh, you know as 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 well as that uh, centre back pairing. Um, I think the main thing that we could also be targeting is about you know how ineffective Marcos Alonso is. Uh, especially as a left back this season, because mm-hmm. under Conte, as, as a left wing back, he was so good, yeah. and as a full back, he's just not you know been there. I think which has pretty much been the case with Kolasinac as well. You know, he's yeah. just so good forward, but Kolasinac defensively is a you know uh, a, a bit of a horror show, which uh, <laughs> I think needs to be definitely addressed uh, by next season, provided uh, Kolasinac stays here next season. Yeah. So that I think is something. For another day to talk about, but yeah, uh, this is you know just these uh, couple of areas which we need to take care of, especially the midfield. Try to overload their uh, midfield a little. I think that is where I think the three-four-one-two formation, you know, where uh, you look at three defenders as I, as I as I talked about a while ago, and then you know two fullbacks, a midfield pivot of uh, Torreira and Chaka, also mm. uh, deployed as the camp. Uh, the number ten and uh, the, the the striker duo of Aubameyang and Lacazette. I think that will definitely do well against Chelsea's lineup and you know how they line up as a four three three. I think we can definitely counter them as well. Unfortunately, the bigger miss is uh, Rambo for us uh, because I think in a three four one two. I, I I you know personally what I observe throughout the season whenever we deploy this formation, I think Rambo just works so well as a number ten because not only does the do not only does he you know particularly perform as a number ten, but then he drops down to yeah. you know receive all so so effectively and so well from Shaka and uh, Shaka and Torreira because when you put Mesut Ozil in that sort of a situation, uh, he drops deep, but. Uh, what you see is he, he tries to do the hard work also you know you can't take that away from him but yeah. his effectiveness stops so massively when he you know drops down into the midfield and you know when he has to try and retrieve that ball so when you're talking about you know a midfield pivot of uh, of Shaka and Torreira and you know someone like Ramsey up top you know to support them uh, be, you know up, up behind uh, Obama and Lacazette that I think obviously a, a bigger dynamic so that's great 
and uh, I definitely hope that you know maybe Danny Welbeck can be played a little into the game as well. If not, if not for the whole ninety minutes, because I think ninety minutes for him will be a bit of a stretch as well because he yeah. hasn't had much of this show for us uh, apart from the uh, a couple of friends, uh, friendlies mm-hmm. that have reported him played uh, played behind the behind the doors. So yeah. maybe yeah, because you know then when you try and bring on you know say Welbeck for Ozil in the second half, I'm I'm obviously assuming. You know, uh, just a hypothetical situation here, yeah, but then you can, you know, try and revert to a three-four-three. Three, well, you know, the three up top mm-hmm. in Black is Aubameyang and Welbeck. They boast extremely good pace, so that is, you know, where you can try and destroy Chelsea on the counter as well. Mm-hmm. So that obviously, you know, a certain sort of a dynamic, and uh, hopefully, yeah, Arsenal can, you know, try and uh, try and, you know, understand the importance of this match. The players have to really understand the importance of this match because. Uh, we we signed Aubameyang, we signed Lacazette when we were in the Euro, when we were in the Europa League. But uh, you know those players, yeah, they are world class players, and you know they obviously want to play in the top competition. Yeah. And uh, they always, you know, stated it again and again. So if we don't secure Champions League, who knows? I mean, you know, Aubameyang or Lacazette, they might want to move, uh, move out. You know, because bigger clubs yeah. are always difficult. For sure. Yeah. So, you know, take that into take that into account as well. So hopefully, yeah, the team will. Uh, Team will put on a, uh, a a spirited show, uh, a, you know, a very methodical approach towards the game, and you know, hopefully Unai really tells them about how important this match is. And well, we obviously know about how you know Unai's uh, been so good in the Europa League as well. He's won it three times with Sevilla, so he's a bit of a he's a bit of a Europa League master as well. And yeah, hopefully that streak continues as well. Mm-hmm. All right, my uncle. Thanks for coming on the show. It was great talking to you. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Well, that was the first half of our Europa League final preview. The second half will be with Chelsea fan Sartak Mondal, so stay tuned for that. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Free Flow Football Podcast. I'm Mahith Kamaj, and this is part two of our Europa League final preview. We did part one with Arsenal fan Mayank Basin from India, who uh, discussed the Arsenal side of the final, and now we're going to be doing the other side of the final, which is Chelsea, of course. I'm joined by Sartak Mondal from England. Sartak, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you, man? Oh, not bad, not bad. I, I'm really excited for this game because, you know, we've seen these two teams play each other a lot over the past couple of years, and it's been pretty back and forth. I mean, even this year, Arsenal beat Chelsea once and Chelsea beat Arsenal once, so we really, really don't know what to expect from this final. Both both teams have players out injured. Um, Chelsea have Rudiger out injured. Um, even N'Golo Kante looks to be missing the game now, and Arsenal, of course, have Ramsey and Bayerine out. So... You know, it's going to be a great game, and, and I'm really, really excited for it. I mean, I'm excited for the final just because it is, you can see, Chelsea versus Arsenal, London Derby. Yeah. London Derby away from home, and Chelsea versus Arsenal is always exciting, no matter what the game is, where the game is, even the friendlies are exciting. Yeah. <laughs> so, how did you come to support Chelsea? Well, so it actually began, began through my dad, who is also a Chelsea fan. Okay. And, and my dad introduced me to some of the French players who used to play for Chelsea and my dad was a massive fan of the French national football team and if you remember late in the 1990s Chelsea had a core of French players Yeah, and those were the days when the Premier League was not live in India but there used to be like small snippets on the newspapers on the backside of the newspaper regarding the English football and from there my dad introduced me to football and I remember the first game I watched was somewhere around 2003 on the on live television. That was before Jose Mourinho came and Chelsea became famous. That was the time yeah. of Claudio Ranieri. So, I was fascinated by it. And to be really honest, 
I had a weak spot for them and it had something to do with the color of the jersey as well. <laughs> so, uh, I come from India, so yeah, right. India plays in the blue color, so mm-hmm. it was initially like any team that plays in blue, so it was yeah. Chelsea and it started like that and slowly, rather than supporting a team because of the jersey color, I started loving how they played, uh, how they tried to overcome the odds and uh, we won the Champions League in 2012. That was right after the time I failed my A-levels. So, <laughs> it was like, you can say, a massive boost for me right, to yeah. see my favourite team win. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's that's a really great story. I mean, so, it's been a long time for you as a Chelsea fan and, and your whole yeah, family yeah, as well. Yeah, it is almost 20 years for me now. Wow, yeah. And, and ha- ha- do you know how your dad came to support Chelsea just from the French players? Or yeah, it, it is usually from the French players and that was the time when... Like you can say, English football was slowly gaining popularity across the world because of obviously the television deals, the broadcasting deals with the English football. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was t- slowly starting to target the international market and they saw huge potential in India uh, so slowly. And it was also because of the French national team, you can say. Okay, that's interesting. So, I mean, going back to the Europa League final, I mean, are you confident heading into the game? Because, I mean, I know Chelsea have had an up-and-down year, a bit inconsistent, but obviously they do have quality, and they finished this season quite strong. You know, finishing in third in the Premier League is a big accomplishment, especially considering the fact that they weren't, you know, a lot of people thought they would finish outside the top four even just a few months ago. So are you confident heading into the game against Arsenal and in Baku? I'm in the Europa League final. It will be like you can say a one-off fixture. It will be 90 minutes. If if the game is drawn, it goes to extra time. So it will be basically which team holds those holds their nerves strong in those 90 minutes, and yeah. whoever is stronger in those 90 minutes will win the fixture. And you can say, uh, given uh, the injuries we have, we we have Antonio Rudiger missing. We will have N'Golo Kante missing. We will have Ruben Loftus-Chick missing. We will have Callum Hudson-Odoi missing. So that is like four players already out injured. Uh, but given we have players who can turn the game around, we have seen players producing moments of brilliance time and time again. Mm-hmm. So you can see I am wary, but I'm confident going into the UL final. Yeah, I think I think the same is for me. Of course, I'm an Arsenal fan, so I'm I'm you know I I am confident. But like you said, you know there are obviously things on the other team that I'm. I'm fearful of. I think um, for for me it would be Eden Hazard. I'm sure. I'm sure for you it's it's those two strikers, Aubameyang and Lacazette. But, yeah, uh, for us it is Aubameyang and Lacazette, and it is a slight relief for us that Ramsey is injured because uh, from watching the English football for so long, I have seen Aaron Ramsey play, and I know like he can turn the game around in a flick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in in January against Chelsea, Ramsey played sort of a different role. He he wasn't you know that that box to box. He was man-marking Jorginho for the full game and I think that was one of his best performances of the year and it wasn't yeah. even playing to his strengths you know that that was just him restricting Jorginho's space and I think that won the game for Arsenal and for Arsenal to be without him is huge and you know like I said this in in the part one that you know both teams are going to be missing their best midfielder Angola Conte and Aaron Ramsey aren't going to play in this game so it is going to be I mean, a bit different what will be fascinating to say if Maurizio Sarri starts Olivier Giroud or Gonzalo Higuain. Yeah, that is an interesting starting striker. That will, I think, will make the difference as a big game player or as anything. I will, I guess, I will go with Olivier Giroud because he has played for Chelsea in the Europa League for, like you can say, almost all the fixtures. He is one of the top scorers in the yeah. Europa League. So, And somehow, 
obviously Higuain is a world class player. He has play, he has played at the top level for so long, but he doesn't have the aura in him at this point of time. Yeah. So I will probably go with Giroud. Okay, yeah, I think I would go with Giroud as well. Um, like you said, he's played in Europe League all year long. Um, also, you know, I think he'll want to score against Arsenal a bit more than Higuain does, just because he spent you know a good six years at Arsenal playing for the club, and I'm sure he wants to to start really badly against his former team. Um, also, I just think Giroud has been the better player over the past few months. You know, like you said, Higuain has really struggled since coming in. Um, I didn't ex- really expect him to do well. And he hasn't done well, so I, I do think that Higuain is coming to the end of his, you know, career at the top at least. Um, he, he's kind I mean, of really I, I mean to be perfectly honest, like after his injury and after he moved to AC Milan, he didn't really look like the same player. Yeah, definitely. At Milan, he was, you know, he he was okay at Milan, but you know, I, I think um, even over the past three years, his goal. His goal return has decreased consistently. I think yeah, he went from 36 to 24 to like 16. You can say like every top European league, the top five European leagues, I'm not talking about League One because uh, I don't really watch that league and I shouldn't really comment on the league that right. I don't watch. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the Serie A or the La Liga or the Premier League or the Bundesliga, each comes with a different set of challenges. And when Higuain comes in from a Serie A, team to uh, English Premier League, it will obviously take him like months to adapt to the new style of play or yeah. whatever, so- whatever sort of thing it is. And I don't think you should really judge a player given six months, but uh, to be honest, if you look at Higuain's goals, he really scored only against the bottom sides. Yeah. So that doesn't really give me confidence. Yeah, I mean, against Arsenal, I think Giroud would be the best option just because even yeah. Arsenal, I mean, like, they... They are so susceptible to like, to to those types of strikers. You know, I mean, over the years, those big target men have always bullied Arsenal, and I think Giroud has the perfect, you know, s- skill set to do that. Uh, in I team. mean, to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if Mauricio Sarri goes with a, with a false nine of Willian, Pedro, and Eden Hazard. Right. I wouldn't be really surprised, but given how Arsenal plays, and given you know, the central. Central defensive partnership of Arsenal, which is always a bit vulnerable, which can also be said about Chelsea. I would probably go with a target man or a number nine or a centre forward, like a prop out and out striker. Yeah. So, what sort of game are you expecting? I mean, I mean, we saw in the opening game between these two sides, where Chelsea beat Arsenal three two in August. Um, it was kind of an end ten game. It was very exciting, very fluid. And then the game in January was a bit of the opposite. I mean, Arsenal played some decent football, but they didn't really get any great looks on goal. They scored the two goals out of half chances, really. And Chelsea were stifled, and it was kind of a gritty performance from Arsenal. It, it was, you know, one of those, one of those matches where they just buckled down and and just tried to to restrict Chelsea's space. A very tactical, disciplined performance. So the two games we've seen this year have been really different. On the on in terms of the spectrum, so what are you expecting from this final in terms of how the match will go and and what kind of what kind of ninety minutes we're gonna see? I mean, over the season we have seen like Chelsea change their style of play a lot differently. Like the, the first few games went really well, and then there was a drop in form. Then the Manchester City game came along, which we won for the first time, which we won two 0 David Luiz scored a brilliant header. Yeah. Then slowly January came started dropping points 6-0 against Manchester City and again all of a sudden Jorginho started playing well Ruben Loftus-Cheek started playing well but 
injuries happened. So what I expect from Chelsea, given the players we have, uh, really not an end-to-end game. I expect like both the teams will be sticking to their strengths rather than focusing on opposition's weakness because at the end of the day, the result, I think, in football really comes down to what you can do rather than what the opposition can't do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was analysing some of like Chelsea's gameplay. They are slowly like trying to adapt to Sari Ball, but given with some of the slow players, such as Cesar Aspilicueta, he is not the same fullback he used to be. And mm-hmm. Sari wants his fullback to push up. Marcos Alonso is great at pushing up, but if he loses the ball, he can't track back. So, but I think we will be seeing Chelsea potentially with a flat back four, mm-hmm. with George, with obviously all the play going through Jorginho. Yeah. And uh, it will be down to again Eden Hazard to bail out Chelsea. Yeah, I mean that's kind of been the 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 narrative all season is Eden Hazard yeah. just bailing this team out. I mean he's scoring all the goals, he's getting all the assists, he's just doing everything for them. I mean, like, I had a chance to look at the potential team from next season. So, obviously, Eden Hazard is not going to not going to stay. Oh. Uh, contrary to all the reports in the news, I mean, like, I have heard already, and I have heard this back in January when Pulisic was signed, that Eden Hazard and Real Madrid and Chelsea have already signed a deal that is close to $120 million. Yeah. In British pounds, that has already already been signed off. They are just waiting for the Europa League final to announce it. Yeah. So, what I expect next season is a young and dynamic Chelsea, and with Sari already in the club, I mean the club is bound to give him another season because we already have the transfer ban. There is no point in appointing a new coach because we will have to buy into his philosophy, and this the team Sari has now is already half bought into his philosophy and with another season I guess we can see some beautiful play from Chelsea which I guess uh, some of the Chelsea fans who always shout about kicking out Sari from the football club will also agree to I mean like I'm not a massive fan of how Sari plays I'm I prefer a more pragmatic approach to football not uh, not passing the ball around too much a direct style of play but if the manager has come in with something and he wants to do and players have started to buy in his philosophy I think the club should give him like at least one more season yeah I think it would be really really stupid to fire him right now and I, yeah. I, I cannot believe the reports that you know they, they want to fire him because I mean you cannot give a manager just one season to try and do everything for the club I mean he's he has to have time and he you know he, he was given time at Napoli and, and he made that club into a, a big success um, in terms of domestic football, and you know, I, I'd be so disappointed if they let him go. And also, with due respect to Frank Lampard and John Terry, they are, you can say, my footballing heroes because I have seen them playing for Chelsea when they were in their prime. I don't think Frank Lampard is ready to yet make a step into the Premier League. I, I, I hope he gets promoted with Derby County, and he has a season at the in the Premier League and. Given Chelsea's history with managers, we don't keep a manager for more than three seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will be probably the right time to appoint Frank Lampard and probably build a legacy in the club. Legacy of like having a manager long-term, which I still doubt with Mr. Abramovich around because he wants short-term success over long-term gains. Yeah. So, 
going back to to Chelsea and Arsenal, what do you think? You know, Chelsea. What what are you kind of afraid about in your own team? You know, what do you think that Arsenal are going to to target? And like, what are Chelsea's weaknesses? David Luiz and William. Hmm. And those are the two main weaknesses. Uh, David Luiz, for me, I mean, like, he's brilliant on the ball for half the game, but he's awful on the ball for the other half. Hmm. And I don't know why. I think, like, David Luiz probably will be better suited as a midfielder rather than a central defender. Hmm. That is what I personally feel. Uh, and we also don't have our first choice central defender, Antonio Rudiger, alongside him. Right. So. I don't know what it will be. I hope Andres Christensen is fit. And if he is not, we will probably start Gary Cahill in the final. And Gary Cahill is a good player. He's a very good player in his own right. But having not played for so long and having put into that game, I don't know how we will perform. But again, uh, David Lewis and Gary Cahill were the centre-back partnership in the famous UCL final of 2012. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that is like a bit of, you can say nostalgia but yeah I'm really wor- worried about David Lewis I'm really worried about William because he looks like a brilliant player he has the pace he has everything he runs with the ball but after just getting into the final third he looks confused like what he has to do like <laughs> that is his main confusion mm-hmm. and yeah. I've seen a lot of Chelsea fans being frustrated with William over the last couple of years I mean, William is that sort of player, I would say, over the last couple of years. Like, if he plays around 40 games a season, he'll probably have, like, four or five very good games. And the rest of the games are, like, really average or not even up to the mark. Like, there are times when he comes up with moments of brilliance. But in a in a top team, in a top six team like Chelsea, you have to always consistently perform. And certainly that doesn't look the case with William right now. And... I've heard like the club is looking to sell him next summer. Mm-hmm. I I, th- I think they should because he he is getting up there in age, and you know yeah. when when Barcelona were interested, I I was thinking, oh my, like you have to sell him if if they're I mean, bidding ba- that much. Barcelona Barcelona are still interested in buying William. They are ready to pay up to thirty five million pounds for William. So I, I I think like next year, if they are they agree to pay even thirty million, I think we should let William go because he had given his best years to Chelsea Football Club already. Uh, with all due respect, he is not anymore the player he is, and he is doing more harm to the team than doing good. So I guess it is time for him to move on as well. Yeah, certainly. So what about uh, the weaknesses of Arsenal? Where do you want Chelsea to to focus on to to beat this team? I mean, obviously the centre back partnership, and obviously attacking through the left wing, which will be Eden Hazard, obviously, because Hector Bellerin is missing. Mm-hmm. So. That is one of the respite for, you can say, Marcus Alonso because we have seen Bellerin running rings around Marcus Alonso in the past few games. Right. So, I think Eden Hazard will be right to target those positions on the left side of the Arsenal, or the right side of the Arsenal defence, or the left side of the Chelsea attack. And obviously, the centre-back partnership sometimes looks a bit shaky. Arsenal are a brilliant team. They are a very good team. They can... I mean, Aubameyang and Lacazette, they produce moments of madness and they can rip apart any team. Yeah. But you can say their performance has been mercurial just like Chelsea throughout the season. Like, you have very good games and then you have, like, very bad games, losing to teams which you shouldn't really lose or dropping points against teams which you should really see out the games. 
and that has actually you can say over the last seven or eight Premier League games that has actually contributed to Chelsea finishing in top three rather than anything else. Yeah, I think Arsenal did Chelsea a favor in in you know losing so many games in yeah. in April. I mean, I, I think in around March. It was Spurs yeah. and Arsenal who were looking 100%. These guys are going to make top four. And Chelsea and United were, were on the outside looking in. And then Arsenal, they, they slipped up. They, they bottled it. And Chelsea snuck in there with a strong finish. And, you know, I think in this Europa League final, I think a lot more is riding for Arsenal than it is for Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea have already qualified for top four. They've already yeah. won this trophy in this decade. They're already, you know, they've won the Europe, the Champions League and the Europa League this decade. For Arsenal, this is a chance to get in, get into the Champions League next year, which they need desperately, and to win their first ever you know major European trophy apart from oh. the the Cup Winners Cup, which they won in the eighties, I believe, or seventies. But you know, a, a lot more is riding for Arsenal in this game. So, how do you think Chelsea should you know how do you motivate the players when the other team has so much more riding on it? I mean, it, a lot of it does come down to who wants it more. So how does Chelsea make sure that their players are up to up to strength with Arsenal in that regard? I mean, some of these players, like such as David Lewis, I mean, it will be down to David Lewis. It will be down to players like Eden Hazard, who have uh, Eden Hazard already played in the Europa League final, if I'm not wrong, in 2013. David Lewis played that final as well. David Lewis played the 2012 UCL final as well. And as far as I can look, along with Cesar Aspelicueta, these three are the most senior playing members in the side. And... It will be down to them to motivate everyone. And if we look at Chelsea, we have got some of the young players such as Kepa, who is potentially looking at his first major trophy in his career. So it will be a very big motivation for him. I mean, I was in Madrid watching the Champions, uh, sorry, the Europa League semi-final, second leg against Frankfurt, and I remember the save when Kepa made with his leg. Yeah. He just the ball that. It was an amazing save. I mean, it might be a fluke. He just kept his leg and it yeah. just stopped, but that was an amazing save. Yeah. And, well, so there should be motivation for him as well. There should be motivation for other players, such as, like, Olivier Giroud to get one over his former team, to win the trophy that eluded him always. Like, an European honour. doesn't matter if you were, if it is a second-string European trophy, but it is still an European trophy at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I go back to that Kepa save. Oh man, that is one of the most iconic saves I have seen in a long time. I mean, he made quite a, quite a few saves in that game, and mm-hmm. quite honestly, in that game, I feel like we attacked more after David Zappacosta came on. So I mean, like if you say like who will start in the finals, so I would probably lean towards like starting with David Zappacosta somewhere. Mm-hmm. Probably Cesar Spilicueta on the left left back position in the left back position because. It doesn't matter. Cesar Aspilicueta is slow on the right wing, but if he's like right behind Eden Hazard, he provides that defensive stability and allows Hazard to move forward. And sometimes, I guess, like under Antonio Conte, the Chelsea played under a three-man defense. So Cesar Aspilicueta can always tuck in and make it a three at the back, allowing others to push on. Mm-hmm. So... Talking about the Baku situation, I mean, it's been in the news all week, you know, with the 68,000-seat stadium and Arsenal and Chelsea only getting 6,000 tickets each. I believe they only sold about half of them each, so a lot of the tickets were returning. Chelsea sold around 4,000, Arsenal sold around 4,000, and they have returned a total of, you can say, 4,000 tickets altogether. And regarding the controversy, apart from Baku Stadium, I think like it is a real shame that 
a player of the quality of Hendrik Mkhitaryan is missing out on the finals because the UEFA can't guarantee him security. Yeah, that is ridiculous, and that should never uh, ever happen. I mean, like, with all due respect to any country in Europe, every country has the right to host any world championship or a or a finals cup finals of the magnitude of the Europa League or the Champions League. But I think like the UEFA should have really focused on this because a player from Armenia, I guess Mkhitaryan is from Armenia, and he can't play in Azerbaijan because the there are some conflicts going on between Armenia and Azerbaijan, which has led to this controversy. Yeah. And regarding the, you can say, the ticket situation. I mean, I watched a few final. I was watching a few finals on YouTube from like, you can say, two thousand three, two thousand four, or two thousand five when Liverpool did that miracle in Istanbul. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were about like you can say twenty thousand, twenty thousand supporters from each team with only 12 or 13,000 tickets going to the corporates. Uh, what I think is like UEFA had become so much of a professional that like they are not keeping in mind the fan aspect of the team, fan aspect of the game. They're not allowing like tickets. And anyways, with Baku being so far, it is around, you can say, a 10-hour journey. Most of the supporters, they are not willing to travel to Baku given the, you can say, some of the warnings has been issued from the home office of the UK for English and British internationals who want to travel to Baku for the game, that there might be an attack or something, which I think Baku hosts many big sporting events. They recently hosted the Formula One Grand Prix and they host it every every season. So I think Baku will, the situation in Baku will be fine. But since it is very far, player like supporters are not willing to travel. Yeah, plus it's expensive too, isn't it? It's like what, like people are paying like four thousand pounds just to go, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like the ticket prices are ridiculous because like there is only one direct flight every day from here. From that is that also from London, and like if you want to reach the other way, you have to probably like make two or three stops along the way. Yeah, that is that is ridiculous, and yeah, they they really have to make sure this doesn't happen again to any any team really because I mean I I said it in the first part this is kind of a learning experience for yeah, UEFA and they just they just I, can't make the mistake again. What I think is like what you the UF you guys at UEFA thought was like UEFA Champions League is for like the top teams like the top teams of England Spain Germany. And so they schedule finals somewhere close to Western Europe. Yeah. And when it comes to the Europa League, it is mostly the Eastern European teams who participate in the Europa League. And so they uh, play the final somewhere in Eastern Europe. Mm. But what, hap- what, what has happened over the last few years or for many years now is like teams drop out of the Champions League or some of the top teams who fail to qualify through the league for the Champions League play in the Europa League and they move on to the finals and they have to travel really far to play the Europa League final. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult because, I mean, with the Champions League, like the third place team from each group drops down, which I really don't yeah. like. I, I really I really dislike that rule because it kind of just, add, like, it's just not fair. I mean, if you fail in the Champions League, you shouldn't be giving another chance to them, right? Yeah, I mean, like, if you fail in the tournament, you fail. It yeah. is as simple as that. So, um, where was the final hosted last year? I, I don't remember. I'm just checking it now. Because uh, last year it was Atletico Madrid who won. And, uh, yeah, it was, at, uh, it was in Lyon. Yeah, it, it was quite new. But yeah, 2017 was out in uh, 
in uh, Sweden. So it, it is like random, really. In, in... Yeah, I mean, I mean, like they select the stadiums really randomly. I don't know whether finals next year will be hosted because to be really honest, I want my team to play Champions League and not Europa yeah. League. <laughs> yeah, we hope we don't have to worry about this next year. Uh, yeah, I mean, ne- next year they have I don't know. They play. They are playing somewhere. They are playing in Poland next year. Oh so yeah, it's, it's in Gdansk. Yeah, Poland. So it is random countries basically. They're all like you know obscure, and I, I guess the Europa League final is a good opportunity to to give these countries a platform to really show what they can do because you know countries like Poland, Sweden, Azerbaijan, and they're not huge huge footballing countries. You know. Whereas the yeah. the Champions League is is mostly those big countries like you mentioned. I mean that is why I guess like from the start of the next cycle, which is I guess twenty twenty one, UEFA are introducing a third league, which you might have heard like they are introducing a third right, third yeah. where there won't be any teams from the top five European leagues for a first, because those team like if there is a team, I mean like let's be very honest, uh, Leicester is way stronger than some of the teams in Eastern Europe. Yeah. That's, I guess, what they're trying to do with this third third league. I'm not sure if I'm a fan of it yet because I, I think I, we just kind of have to see how it plays out. Yeah, exactly. Like, you won't be... I mean, like, you won't be really sure about how things go on unless, like, it really happens for the first time and you really see everything unfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so going back to, to Chelsea, I mean, they've had... Uh, a, a decent season you know finishing third I think is a little bit better than what a lot of people expected maybe throughout the season seeing how they play seeing the ups and downs um, would, would you say that Sarri's first season is a success or maybe uh, I, I, I would definitely say Sarri's first season has been a success it has not been a major success but he has quali- like he has completed all the objectives that has been given to him by the board the board set him an objective like you qualify for Europe either through winning the Europa League or finishing in a position in the league stages, league of like the league table, he did it through his league position, the Europa League final. He he has already reached finals in the League Cup, where we lost to a brilliant Manchester City. Manchester City has been hands down one of the two best teams in Europe this year. The second being Liverpool, and I'm really gutted for Liverpool that they couldn't win the league. But it gives me a chance to have banter with the Liverpool fans that they can't win <laughs> anything in 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We still got the Champions League final coming up though, so maybe yeah. just keep that taunting down to a minimum. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, they have won the Champions League in two thousand five. They have won trophies in two thousand eleven. I guess they won the League Cup. Yeah, League Cup. Not... Yeah, I think it was two thousand eleven. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they haven't won the league in thirty years. Uh, Leicester, have, Leicester, and Blackburn have won more Premier Leagues than them. Yeah, it's it's it is weird because you think of Liverpool as one of the biggest sides, and for them I mean, not to win one, in thirty years is crazy. It's one of the biggest. It is one of the biggest sides. I have been to Anfield. I have been to Anfield to watch a League Cup game, and it was a really funny story. Uh, I was there to watch Chelsea versus Liverpool when Eden Hazard scored that worldy, cutting through many players before shooting. Really? You were I, there, really? Yeah, yeah, and I was sitting with the Liverpool fans. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, I, was <laughs> I didn't get an away ticket, so I just got a ticket. I sat with the Liverpool fans. They didn't know. Oh. I was trying to celebrate throughout the game. I celebrated only after. Like, <laughs> that stadium. is so funny. No way. That's crazy. But yeah, that, I mean, that goal must have been so sick to see live. I mean, things happen all the time like that. Like, mm. I remember last year, there was a fan from Southampton who mistakenly got into the Chelsea side during the FA Cup semi-finals. <laughs> 
Wow, that is, and like people, like, do people have a problem with that or, or no? I, I mean, it depends. Like, there will obviously be a problem if it is like Chelsea versus Arsenal or Arsenal versus Tottenham yeah, or okay, yeah. Manchester United versus Liverpool or Chelsea versus Liverpool. You should rather keep silent. Uh, yeah. But there won't be a problem if like a mid-table side is playing a top side. Like, I don't right. know what I'm going to do next year because I have got a season ticket for Sheffield United next season. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so Sheffield, like, Bramall Lane is, like, five minutes away from my home. I can just walk down the road. Okay. That would be so nice for I'm, you up in the up in the Premier League. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I, I've got the oldest football club in the world here already, Sheffield Football Club. Mm-hmm. So, I work with them quite closely. Mm-hmm. And I've got she- Sheffield United here, so I don't know what I will be doing for Chelsea game next season. So I'll just shut up, shut my mouth up and I will just use my season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I mean, it's it's weird because in here in North America, they don't separate the away and home fans because it's not as um, sports here. I wouldn't say aren't as passionate, aren't as um, I wouldn't know how to explain it. it. It's just not as you know, like together and and as rowdy as it is uh, over in Europe. And that's something that we're trying to change now with um, here in Canada. I mean. If you go to a hockey game or a football game, as in like American football game, uh, anybody just sits wherever they want, and nobody causes problems with with rival fans. Nothing really crazy happens. Everybody, and it, the, the the bad thing is everybody just sits there. Nobody gets uh, up and nobody does chants. Nothing. Everybody just sits I mean, there and drinks. That's it. The best part is if you are an Arsenal fan and you came to watch Chelsea versus Arsenal in Stamford Bridge, there is no way you are getting into Matthew Harding's stand. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that there's no chance. So. <laughs> it, it it is something that that you know like, I, I really like. I mean, I I mean, if you even if you get a ticket and you go inside, uh, better keep silent. I would say like that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So going back to the Europa League final, Sarthak. Lastly, what is your prediction for the game? What's this, what's the score going to be? I think Chelsea will win two one. Okay, so a tight game you're expecting. Uh, I I mean it will be a tight game and two one after extra time. That is my prediction. Ooh, that would be fun if that game went to extra time. I don't know how I would handle that. I'd be so nervous. Uh, I guess it will be 2-1 after extra time. I mean, it can go either way. I mean, you shouldn't really predict football matches because anything can happen in a yeah. minute. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, it, it is difficult to predict, especially when the teams are this closely matched. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens. But uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show, Sarthak. Thank you. Have a nice day. Yeah, you too. All right, guys. Well, that was our Europa League final preview show. We will have one out for the Champions League final later this week. But, uh, yeah, so just follow us on Twitter. You can follow Sarthak on Twitter. I'll link that in the description. And you can follow Mayank Basin on Twitter as well. I'll link him as well. He was from the part one. But, yeah, you guys can follow us on Twitter. I'll link everything below. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening and can't wait for the final.